Shalom Mishpocha. Shalom, family. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word, means family. We're the Mishpocha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people, where the middle wall of separation has finally come down to form one new man. Getting ready, Mishpocha, to blow the grandest shofar or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. Now, you would be red hot for the Messiah if you had two visions like my guest Dutch Sheets had of the third great awakening. And I can't wait for him to share in detail what he sees coming shortly. But maybe I'll give you a little preview. Uh, Dutch, you told me last night that you saw a billion people saved over the next 10 years worldwide. That is, uh, to an evangelist, that is music to my ears. It's so exciting, Sid. I'm confident of it. I have seen this coming for 20 years. We're about to move into the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit the earth has ever seen. We'll see more people saved in our day than in the previous 2,000 years since Yeshua died on the cross and rose again. And I believe I have a promise from the Lord that we'll see at least a billion souls come into the kingdom over the next 10 years. Now, I hear in your voice uh, a ring of hope. Many prophets, of which you are, uh, it's all gloom and doom. But I hear a lot of hope in your voice. Why do you have such such hope in your voice? Because you've seen some of the negatives. We've discussed it. Uh, why do you have so much hope? Well, I have hope because, number one, it's not God's will that any perish. To think that the Redeemer, the Lord himself, would would give up on this great multitude in the Valley of Decision, as the Scriptures say, this great number that have not heard to think he would give up on them before he returns is unthinkable. But beyond that, I've had visitations from the Lord. Uh, I haven't seen him personally, but I knew he was there talking to me for sometimes hours. I've had the visions that you mentioned where I've seen this coming harvest. God is about to to visit this earth with the third great awakening which will be, as I said, the greatest we've ever seen. He wants to see these people come to know him more than we do. I've got to ask you this. How close are we to what you have seen? Oh, I believe, Sid, I believe we're we're already in the beginning stages of it, but it's like a baby. It's there before we can see it. Those of us that are prophetic enough to discern, to see, to hear clearly what he's saying, we're like Elijah who said, I hear the sound of an abundant rain. He could hear it. There was no thunder yet, naturally. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. But prophetically, he could hear it. He could sense it. And he said, it is here. God has told me it's going to rain. That's where where we are right now. And for those who are out there a lot, as I am, traveling every weekend all over the nation, sometimes to other nations, there is a remnant of believers around the world that is passionate, on fire, interceding. They are ready. God has this thing ready for this outpouring. And as I said, in some places, it's already beginning. Tell me one. Tell me one place that you've seen it and what's going on. I was in a meeting just this past week in um, 
uh, Tennessee, where uh, there is such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They have seen over 800 people baptized in the last eight weeks. They have seen signs, wonders, and miracles. This movement of the Holy Spirit caught them by surprise. They weren't expecting, they were crying out for it. They were believing that this is coming. <clears throat> they had no idea it was about to begin. God just showed up. The whole room was on their face. No one could move. I'm being told there are sometimes 45 minutes to an hour in these gatherings, which, by the way, are up to 2,000 people and 100,000 watching online. There are times when no one moves or talks for an hour. There are times when the, the evangelist can't get to the message because the Spirit of God comes during the worship. This is this is almost out of control. I visited it because the evangelist is a spiritual son to me, and I wanted to see it firsthand. I was blown away. The night I was there, we never got to the message. God just started moving on people before we ever got there. This is going to happen all over this nation. No, no, I don't, I don't want—we're going to get to that later on in the week. But I want, I want to get to know you just a little bit. Your dad was a pastor. You get saved at age four. Uh, you, you saw the supernatural. What type of things did you see as a, a young person growing up in your dad's church? Oh, my goodness. I saw every conceivable miracle you can imagine. I have seen personally, live, with my eyes, blind eyes open— cataracts dissolve and people wipe them off uh, their eyes. You could see the red. Now, that's my kind of eye doctor. <laughs> I'm telling you, I have seen, I saw one lady that had stomach cancer. God could have dissolved it when he healed her. He chose to work a sign and a wonder. I saw her literally vomit up that blob of cancer onto the floor in front of all of our eyes. And she was documented by her doctors completely cancer free. I have seen broken bones healed before my eyes. I have seen, I saw a young boy that had never walked without braces take them off. I heard the bones snap and pop when he, before he started running around the room. I mean, I've just seen a lot of things. I've seen crooked backs healed. I've seen tumors disappear. I saw one lady that had a tumor in her stomach. It was so large, she looked like she was probably seven months pregnant. And my dad... It looked like he was hitting her Put when he touched her stomach, and she uh, gasped, and you could see. She had a dress on like a pregnant lady would have to wear. You could see that dress go down, and we watched it dissolve before our eyes. Well, actually, George Cole, from what I understand, used to punch people in the stomach. Uh, that was before they had lawsuits and all these uh, things like that, and they would get healed. I think it sounds like that's what he what he was doing with her. Uh, he, he wrapped the microphone around her his hand and hit her with the microphone. <laughs> okay, now at seventeen, the devil shows up. You have a church split. Your dad gets so discouraged, he runs off with the church secretary, and you go into drugs and alcohol. I, I have to ask you a, a question. I got saved at thirty. I had an encounter with the devil. I had an encounter with God. God's much stronger and much better. I don't understand a backslider. Seeing all that you saw, how did you backslide? Sid, my dad, was my picture of what God was like. He, he, he was who I looked at when I thought of God. He was my model. He was my example. 
when when he turned away from the Lord uh, temporarily, as it turns out, he came back to the Lord. He's in heaven now. But he, when he turned away from the Lord and and rejected everything I had believed in all of my life, I never, I never, I didn't lose my belief in God. I still knew there was a God. I still knew that the miracles were real. I just turned so bitter and so angry and was so disillusioned that I had a crisis of faith. I just couldn't believe in God's goodness anymore. I, I, I couldn't believe in his faithfulness anymore. I couldn't believe he loved us. How could how could you leave my family destitute? I mean, my mom runs out, tries to find a job, and gets one in a meat market. I get a part-time job. I'm in high school. My brother does. We find an apartment, and we just survive and I'm and I and I turned angry and bitter and said I'll never darken the door of another church. So so one night you're in a bar feeling sorry for yourself with the unhappiest people on earth gathered around you because like begets like and that's that's who's in bars uh and all and you hear the voice of God. What did he say? Well, absolutely I was stoned on marijuana and I just at two years, I'm into this process, listening to a band. The music was so loud, you couldn't hear yourself think. And I heard what may have been an audible voice. I don't think it was, because I don't know that I would have heard it over the music. But it was so loud inside of me, it was like that. I heard God say to me, what are you doing here? And my first response, I was so shocked. I sort of looked around and looked behind me, and yet I knew it was God. And my first response to him was, what are you doing here? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> this was such an evil place. It, it was, you know, it wasn't. But that's the place Jesus would have gone into. To, oh. But he would not have gone in to drink. But go ahead. <laughs> that's right. And I said, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm here for you. And then he said, you know this is not who you are, don't you? And you know this is never who you will be. And I was instantly sober, walked outside, left my friends inside, and walked outside that place up and down the street for an hour just talking with God and asking him questions. Why did have I don't understand. How could this happen? Lord, I, I, I do love you. I know this is not who I am, but I can't reconcile any of this in my heart. I was weeping. I was crying. I cry almost every time I talk about it. The Lord patiently just loved me. You know, I wasn't afraid of going to hell. Uh, you couldn't have scared me back into the kingdom, Sid, but I couldn't deal with a God who loved me enough to chase me into that place. I'll tell you what, our time is up today. Uh, we'll pick up here on tomorrow's broadcast uh, because uh, the gifting that God has bestowed through grace on Dutch sheets, uh, but uh, your brand new book, it's called The Power of Hope. And your four CDs uh, called The Power of Hope and New Beginnings. Uh, this is going to revolutionize people. Why? Because people are in such despair today. They're so hopeless. They've seen so many failures. They've seen what appears to them not answers to prayer. Uh, they've seen they've been sick. They haven't been healed. Uh, there, there are problems with their family, problems with their finances. They're, they're weighted down. Uh, they feel like they can't bust out. And that's exactly who you wrote your book for, because it's not good preaching. It's a supernatural how book of how people 
can have their hope and their vision restored. Uh, what feedback are you getting when you teach on this? You know, people come alive. First, they begin to weep because you can see they identify with the pain. Then they begin, you can see hope come to them. Faith begins to rise. I am, I am having testimony after testimony of people saying, God has transformed their marriage. He's transformed their life. He's brought hope to them again. Yeah, but he's not going to transform giving us more time. So I want this package called uh, the Hope and New Beginnings Package, the four CDs, the new book, The Power of Hope, available for a gift of $40. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. My friend Dutch Sheets is feeling sorry for himself. And as he says, he was letting his father's failure define him. You were so close to that, which would have cost you everything. What did you mean by that? You know, uh, the word Goliath, the name Goliath means reveal or expose. And that's what giants do when they come to us. They expose what is inside of us. And I I had been exposed as not having a strong enough faith of my own. My faith was in my father's God. And when he fell, that was beginning to find me, define me, the bitterness, the resentment. And I realized when he finally came and I was able to listen and allow God to to begin to heal me, I'm going to have to get my own faith in God. My dad's faith is not enough. My granddaddy's faith is not enough. I need a personal encounter with God. And I, I need to let him define me, not my past hurts, not my past failures, not my father's failure, not my unfaithfulness. I need to let God define who I am. And he walked me through a, a two-month process of healing. I really didn't give my heart back to the Lord immediately. He and I talked a lot over two months. And finally, I just said to God after this uh, time, I said, you know, I don't understand it all yet. And that's key, by the way, Sid. We don't have to understand everything to be healed. You know what? The older I get, the less I know. That's exactly (laughs) right. I don't have to understand why. How could this happen? I don't understand. Well, I didn't understand, but I didn't have to. I said, I don't understand this. I don't know why it happened. I don't know. But I know this. You still love me. And somewhere deep down in my heart, I found out I still love you. And, you, and, and God starting, started redefining me, and, and, and I went on this glorious journey. Two months later, I, I gave my heart to the Lord, and, I, and I, stepped, I felt like I had never been saved. When I came back to the Lord, it was so glorious and so wonderful. I just felt like I don't know if I had ever been saved. I know I was, but the love of God filled my heart. I don't ever really think he left me, Sid. I just think I had a renewal in my heart. And it was, and, and that started me on a path to where I am today. Well, let, let me ask you a question. Uh, looking at your material, I am overwhelmed of the statistics that you present on the loss of hope by, by people. Yeah, it, t- t- tell me some of them. Oh, it's devastating. It's- uh, figures tell us that serious depression has the effect, the same effect as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. It's three times, people are three times more likely to die of heart disease if they have serious depression. Even mild 
depression. They are 50% more, more likely to die of heart disease than normal people. Those figures are in a Reader's Digest. Th- these are documented facts. H- depression, hopelessness will kill you, and it's killing a lot of people. The divorce rate has risen almost 300% in the last 27 years. million in America divorce every year. One million children are affected by divorces every year. We can't work things out. We can't stay together. Fatherless homes account for 63% of youth suicides, 90% of runaway children, and 85% of youths in prison because they come from a fatherless home. They have no hope. They have no anchor. They have no identity. Approximately 19 million people just in America have a depressive disorder. The youth suicide rate has tripled in the last 30 years. 25% of high school students seriously consider suicide every year. Even our spiritual leaders are, are, are discouraged, Sid. 70% of pastors in a recent survey said they constantly fight depression. 80% of their children seek professional help for depression. Adult children of pastors seek professional help for depression. 50% of pastors said they would leave the ministry today if they knew of another way to make a living, and 1,500 of them do leave the ministry every month. No one is immune from this disease of hopelessness. I call hope deferred in the book the common cold of the soul. You can't go through life and not be hit with something. Well, the that... Proverbs, what you're doing is you're quoting Proverbs thirteen twelve, which says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Explain that. You know, when, when we... When we experience something like I did, or someone loses a loved one, or a divorce, or a bankruptcy, I mean, it could be a thousand different things. That if, if we don't guard against it, and of course we talk about how to do that, but if we don't guard against it, a process begins in our soul, our emotions, our mind, our will, just like heart disease in the soul. We begin to, uh, uh, we begin to lose our faith. We lose our courage. Then we begin to uh, lose our God connection. Even if we don't turn away from the Lord completely like I did, our faith suffers. We can't. And, and think of heart disease. You can't run. You can't work. You can't, you can't move forward. Well, Hope Deferred does the same thing to the spiritual heart. We can't run life's race. We can't perform the way we need to. We struggle. We're weak. And then, of course, we stop dreaming, and once we stop dreaming, we just exist. So, so what you're saying is it's a, a, a progressive thing that unless it's stopped, it goes all the way to you end up being a non-believer, and, and you probably end up dying. Dying physically, but first we'll die spiritually and emotionally, just like heart disease does to a person physically. And there are thousands, millions of people, including believers, who have lost their faith. They're, I, don't mean, I don't mean they're not saved. I mean, they have no faith to dream. They have no faith to reach out and be used by God, to move forward. 
uh, and if we don't dream, you know, one of the one of the interesting studies I, I did showed me that the word dream or imagine in Hebrew is the same comes from the very same root as the word create. Yet ser and yet sar, hmm. same word. Can you imagine God put into the same word the concept of dreaming and the concept of creating? If we don't dream, we won't create. We won't move forward. We won't come up with new things. We won't look at the future with hope because we've lost our hope. Hope deferred has set in. And and God wants us to dream again. Well, the thing that I love about your book is it's a how-to book with supernatural prayers. But how does someone become a prisoner of hope, as you say, instead of prisoner of depression and despair. You know, it starts with, a, and I know this sounds simple to people, but it really begins with a choice. My brother was watching uh, a sur- open-heart surgery. Uh, he was literally standing at the head of the patient. They had the heart out working on it. The machines were doing the work of the heart. They put the heart back in. Then they have to get it pump- beating, pumping again. They couldn't do it. And, the, and they had exhausted everything to try and get this heart to beat. And finally, the doctor leaned over to this obviously unconscious person and in their ear said, I need your help, Mrs. So-and-so. We can't get your heart to beat. Please tell your heart to beat again. Instantly, her heart started pumping. He looked up, shocked. The nurses and other doctors around the table looked up, shocked. The doctor just looked at them and shrugged like, I don't understand it either. And they went back to work. That is, my brother said, I'll never forget it as long as I live. That's what we have to do spiritually. You know, there comes a point in time when we have to say, I, I don't understand it. I, I, I don't have everything figured out. I may not even want to in parts of who I am, but I'm going to make a decision that I'm going to live again. I'm going to believe again. I may have created Ishmael through Hagar, but I'm I'm going to start believing for Isaac again. I'm going to start believing in my heavenly father. My father may have failed me. Someone may be saying, my spouse left me. They were unfaithful. I don't care what it is. You may have lost everything. You have to say, I choose to believe. I'm going to dream again. I'm going to live again. That's where we start the process. And now, just out of curiosity, as you explain in your book and your teaching, uh, there are cycles or stages of, of people slipping backwards into hopelessness. What if you have a spouse or a child uh, that's it's no such thing as beyond the point of no return, but it slipped so far? Uh, they don't even have the ability to choose. What do you do about them? Well, in that case, uh, it's going to require faith-filled prayer. My hope is going to have to be in the God of salvation. My hope is going to have to be that he loves that child more than I do. And, uh, and, And I'm going to have to anchor my faith, not in what I can do as an earthly parent, because I can't change the way they think. I can't follow them everywhere they go, but God can. And what I what I begin to encourage people to begin doing in a case like that is, hey, you have to you, you're not you're not trying to convince God to save this child. 
he he's ready. He wants to. He just needs something to work with. He needs your prayers. He needs your faith. The statistics of people, Christians, that have lost their hope, ministers that have lost their hope and are in a, a, a cycle. In fact, uh, Dutch, if you, if you would share on the stages of hope deferred, maybe people can recognize where they are. Uh, would you explain? Absolutely. And let me start by saying no one should feel condemned if they find themselves in, themselves in this pattern. You cannot go through life without experiencing hope deferred to one degree or another. It begins uh, once we've had a setback, a loss, a prayer that we didn't think was answered, a, uh, a situation where sickness came in and seemingly won. It could be a thousand different things, but it begins with simple discouragement. That's the first early stage of this, of this disease, simple discouragement. The next phase, if that isn't checked, will be confusion. We begin to question ourselves, question our dreams, question God and his promises. If that goes unchecked, the next phase will be unbelief. Hope is lost at that point, and our expectation is gone. You know, you can't have faith without hope. I'm a strong believer that there's a difference. You have to move beyond hope to faith where you really begin to lay hold of the promise. But you can't have faith without hope. It begins with hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The, the fourth stage, and this we're in real trouble if we get here to this point, but disillusionment begins to come. The first stage of bitterness, which usually involves questioning even the character of God. That's what I did. How could you let this happen, God? I've heard all my life, you're a good God. How, when, my, when my dad was unfaithful and then he, he, we lost him as, and he divorced mom, how could you do this? We were Christians. We were serving you. We were faithful to you. We made sacrifices for you. How could you let this happen? And the first stage of bitterness began to develop. The fifth stage is bitterness. And I tell you, Sid, I became so bitter. I was such a bitter, angry young man for two years when this happened to us. Deep feelings of resentment, blaming God, blaming everyone else, blaming even myself, just filled with bitterness. And the last stage, and believe me, I, I came this far, cynicism, just a complete loss of faith and hope a dead heart. Now we don't even try to believe anymore. We don't even act like we're trying to believe. We don't even put on the religious face any, anymore. I took great pleasure in cursing and getting drunk and, and doing things that were inappropriate because I, I had just lost all of my faith. And, and, and you can be in any phase of that and, and hope, hope deferred is starting to set in. If it hurts you, when you think about the dream you once had, you probably have hope deferred. If passion has waned and apathy has now taken over, hope deferred is probably at work in you. If you find yourself going through religious motions, doing and saying the right things, while all the time you're feeling empty and lifeless on the inside, you may be a victim of this enemy. If disappointment seems stronger than joy, in your life, 
if tears come to your eyes when you think about a certain person, if you can't go to some places in your mind and heart without discomfort and negative emotions, if promises from God now spark disillusionment or cynicism instead of faith, if somebody says God's going to come through for you and instantly you just wonder, I don't know if I believe that, you probably have some stage of hope deferred. But I tell you, the good news is God has a plan to bring us out of it just like he did for me. You know, I was a prodigal away from God. And interestingly, just like the prodigal in Scripture, God came to him in a pig pen. God came to me in a bar called the Boar's Head. <laughs> That's pretty I, close. I mean, <laughs> you, just can't, you just can't make that up. <laughs> at a place called the Boar's Head, and and that's where my journey back to the Father began. Okay, I know that people can get a hold of your brand new book and your uh, four CD series called the Hope and New Beginning series, but give us some practical examples of people that have seen themselves and say, I know that's me, but uh, uh, it's me. What can I do about it? Uh, give, give me a couple of steps. Oh, I tell you, I, 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 one lady comes to mind immediately. She was one of the most tormented, uh, discouraged, depressed people I had ever known. Uh, counselors, psychologists had told her, you are probably the worst case. I have ever dealt with. They said, your mind has actually quit working properly. The, the doctor even compared it to heart disease. What, what, what happens to a human heart has happened in your mind. She, she had no hope other than God. She began to meet with me. And by the way, she had experienced sexual abuse. She had experienced the loss of her parents. She experienced a spouse's adultery. She had gone through bout with cancer. I mean, this lady had been beat up by life. And the first thing we had to do is we had to say, you know what? You gotta. You can't blame God. You've got to start reaching out to Him. You got to choose. You got to tell your heart to beat again. The next thing she had to do, real simple, she had to forgive. You don't forgive people because they deserve it. You know, people say, well, they don't deserve. No, we don't, we don't forgive anybody. We just turn them over to God. We say, Lord, you're the judge. You take care of this. I release them. Uh, and that word in, in Greek means drop the charges. Lord, I'm not going to take them to court. I, I trust you as the judge. I release them. And somehow, when we release the people that hurt us, or even if we've had bitterness toward God. I mean, he didn't do anything to deserve being released, but we forgive him. We say, Lord, I let this bitterness go toward you. When we forgive, something happens immediately. We start being released from what happened to us to hurt us. The, the scripture that says in Luke 6, forgive and you'll be forgiven. A better translation would be release and you will be released. So what would you, let me give you an example. Someone believes in healing, uh, and they have a, a husband that believes in healing, and the husband gets cancer, and then the husband dies, and then the spouse says, well, he was such a godly man. Uh, if he died, I don't stand a chance. And then they go through those stages that you pointed out of hope deferred. How do you reverse someone like that? 
know, I'm, I'm thinking of a lady as you speak that fits that exactly. And I walked through it with them, and we were so sure God was going to heal this man. And he stood in faith well. But you know what? When he died, even though her heart was, was, was breaking, she never really got to many of these phases because immediately she made a choice. She said, I do not understand this, but I do believe God is faithful and he's good. And he has reasons. He has, there's something I don't understand, but it, it's not his goodness. And it's not that he always does everything well. And she made a choice. And when she made the choice, this is what a lot of people don't understand. When you make the right choice, it allows God to cause your emotions to follow that choice. See, we were never given emotions to lead us. We were given emotions so life could be meaningful, so we could feel, so we could experience. But emotions were never meant to control us. So when you choose and make the right decision, you allow God to change the emotions and the hurt will leave, the healing will come, the release will come. But a lot of people, since they don't understand that, they, they don't know, I can make these choices. I still have the right to choose life and blessing and God in my life, even when I'm in devastating pain. Well, you talk about uh, commanding our soul to have hope. Uh, you talk about people in the Bible like David that did this. How important is it for us to command our soul to have oh, hope? Oh, it's critical. I mean, literally the word confession, a lot of people don't understand it, but the confession in the new word confession in the New Testament, confessing what the word means literally to say the same thing. We, we have to get to a point where though we don't feel like it or, or, or you know, every, all the circumstances are saying don't do this, we have to choose to start saying what God says about us. We make a simple choice. And it was what David was doing. He was saying, soul, I know you don't feel like it. I know you're in great pain, but you're going to have to do this. Because he knew that that choice was the way out of the pain. If I'll start saying what God says about me, I can overcome this. He does love me. I am more than a conqueror. Nothing can separate me from his love. And on and on and on. When we start saying the same thing, homologia is the word, when we start doing that, it literally releases spiritual power. Confessing God's word releases spiritual power. That's how God made the universe. That's how Jesus healed people. He just decreed it. Well, you know what? We're out of time right now, but if you like this teaching, you will love his brand new book called The Hope and New Beginnings Package, which includes the book, The Power of Hope, and the four audio CDs on that subject. And this is what I can tell you. It will give you the tools to make the right choice. It'll give you the practical steps to move forward. You may have lost your dreams. You may feel hopeless. You may question God right now, but get ready to be infused with this supernatural power of a substance God calls hope, available for a gift of $40. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. God spoke to my guest, Dutch Sheets, with a word you must hear because it's for you. 
What was that word, Dutch? Sid, I heard the Lord very, very clearly say to me several months ago now, the winter season is over. And I knew that he, what he meant, but that he knew immediately because of teachings and that I've done that I would go immediately to Ezekiel 47. Of course, that's the passage that talks about the river that flows out of the temple and becomes, it starts as a trickle, but then it gets deeper to the ankles and then the knees and, and then the waist. And then it's this rushing river. And it's, of course, the river of life. It brings life and healing everywhere it goes. He knew I would go there because the word river in that passage doesn't mean just a normal river. Literally, it means a winter torrent. Define a winter torrent to me. Yes, it, but it's, it's not called a winter torrent because it flows in winter. It's called a winter torrent, this type of river, because it is created by winter. It's the spring thaw that melts the snow and the ice of winter that gives us water that we need for the next season. If you've ever been in the mountains in the, in the springtime, you'll see little rivulets start flowing, thousands of them. Those come together and form little ankle-deep trenches. Those come together and form uh, little streams, knee-deep, waist-deep. And by the time you get to the valley, there's this rushing torrent of water. That's what's being described in Ezekiel 47. And I knew, the Lord knew, because of what he taught me, that I would go there immediately. If the winter season is over, that means that the spring fall is coming and the river of God's Spirit, the river of his life, the river that heals, is about to be released. And you know, when, in that, naturally, when that river comes off the mountain, that stream, it picks up seeds. And this is, this is beautiful because in winter there's a season of dormancy. But that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes we think because we're not bearing a lot of fruit right now that we that we're no good or we're not we don't have enough faith. But dormitory comes from the word dormant. Sometimes we're just resting and we're waiting for God to grab the seed that has been lying in the ground, laying there dormant, carries it down to the valley to the right place, and He plants that seed, and God begins to cause new life to spring up inside of us. You know, some seeds can lay dormant for years, even hundreds of years. I received a, a word from God the night I rededicated my heart to the Lord, Sid. We've talked about that in this series. Uh, the night that I did that, I drove back to my apartment, and, and I turned the key off in my car, and the Spirit of God filled my car. And He spoke to me. I, I, I had never experienced anything like it. And he showed me what he was going to do with my life. And, and, and I thought it would all happen the next week. <laughs> but it was a process. And do you know, five years ago, I started experiencing some of that. And I realized he spoke this to me 35 years ago. And it's just now happening. I, T- tell me really quickly, three brief things he spoke to you 35 years ago that you must have been in a real hope-deferred situation over. He, he spoke to me that I would see a generation delivered from drug addiction and perversion. There was a young man with me. He was in the back seat of the car while I was having this vision or this encounter with God. It wasn't a vision. It was just God talking to me. While I was having it, he started re- having a, 
a flashback from acid LSD consumption and started writhing all over the back seat of my car while I was hearing this from the Lord. And the Lord said to me, turn around, I'll show you what I'm going to use you to do and what you're going to see. I turned, he said, turn around and rebuke this drug right now. I turned around while he was thrashing in the back seat, and I mean thrashing, all over the back seat, hitting the windows. I turned around and he said, and I said, in Jesus' name, in the name of Yeshua, stop this now. And he stopped, he jerked, he became calm, he looked at me, and he said, what in the world just happened to me? <laughs> and I said, the Lord just set you free. That's one picture the Lord said would happen. <laughs> and then he said, you will see great signs and wonders in your ministry. And then he said, you will become a voice to this nation and to the nations of the earth. And that, and see, God knew when to cause the seed to begin to sprout, because seeds just lay there dormant. I'll tell you, there are people listening to me right now. You have promises from God that have not yet happened. You think they're never going to happen, but God has been saving the seed of his promise for just the right time, and it's going to spring up in this season. I want you to say, with the faith you have in your heart, a proclamation to those that are listening right now, your season is changing. Proclaim that for them. Absolutely. I decree in the name of Yeshua, the Almighty God, I decree over you that your hope deferred is being broken, that your spiritual heart is being healed. I decree over you drug addiction will leave you, alcohol addiction. I know you may have given into it in the past, but it's going to be broken off of you. That which you inherited from your father or your mother will be broken off of you. Disease will be broken off of you. Your season of depression is going to change. The joy of the Lord is going to become your strength. The visions and dreams that he gave you in your past are going to come alive again. They're going to spring up from the earth just like a seed. You're going to hope. You're going to come alive. You're going to tell your heart to believe again. You will have joy. You will have peace. You will see miracles. Your marriage will heal. Your financial situation will turn. Bankruptcy will be broken. You'll have more this time than you had before. God is going to come through. He's going to save your children. Prodigals are coming home. They're coming back to the Father in this season. The word that's in them will not return void it will accomplish everything God said. He is not going to abandon you in your season of pain. You state that brokenness and failure prepare someone for great authority. Elaborate. Oh, you know, I, I use the example of Moses, who finds himself on this mountain called Horeb. He has failed. He thinks he's lost his destiny to lead Israel. And for 40 years, he's there on a mountain that, whose name, which name Horeb means desolate, waste, barren, dry. If that is not a picture of a physical place describing the life he now had, I don't know what is. But God began to use that place and eventually spoke to him there to go back. And then I love what he, he says, what is in your hand, Moses? This is what you're going to use to deliver my people. He says, well, it's just this stick, just a staff. It's just a dry piece of wood created by the winds and dryness. 
and the son of this desolate place? And God said, yes, but I created it. And I'm going to take that which you think has been devastation, and I'm going to use it to represent my authority. That which is supposed to represent pain, I'm going to use. That which represents dryness, I'm going to use. I have worked something into you through this, and it's going to now be a picture of your authority. And the staff of Horeb became the staff of God. The mountain Horeb became the mountain of God. He just had to wait for God's timing and full restoration to to be completed. And God took all the pain, just like he did with Joseph in prison, just like he did with David in those caves of Adullam. He'd used all of the pressure, all of the pain to make them better. It's important for people to know God will not waste your pain. He will not waste one day of your sorrow. If you give it to him, he will take it and transform it into something he can use. I love that about God. He will cause everything to work together for our good. And you know what I find interesting? A lot of people think God causes all this desolation and all these problems. No, but he'll redeem and actually use everything. They get it mixed up. The one that caused all that desolation is the devil. But God will even take the the devil so stupid what he's been doing to break people and to hurt people and to destroy people. God's going to use to make them the man and woman that he's created them to be. Yes, he will. Now, Dutch, I am so excited because I know the statistics. I know people are hurting. I know that hope has been deferred in so many people. And they're catching themselves just as you're talking. But there is a supernatural quality, and you know this about your new book, uh, The Power of Hope. Uh, It's not natural. It's supernatural. And it's a how-to book. It gives people the tools to choose hope. It gives the practical steps to move forward. It gets your lost dreams back. It changes hopelessness to victory. Uh, And it gets you ready to be infused supernaturally, to be walking in the position God created you to be. I I have to believe that there is nothing, no greater satisfaction when someone grabs these supernatural tools and starts fulfilling their destiny. Absolutely. It's just incredible to see it. I see it over and over. It's a wonderful thing. Like Gideon, when God came to him, he just said, well, who am I? I can't do this. We're this, we're that. God took a hope-deferred man, transformed him into a leader, and the rest is just history. He leads a whole nation into their freedom. I'm going to tell you something. I tell you, you are going to be the happiest person on earth. Why? Your season is changing. My guest, Dutch Sheets, had two visions. Because of time, I want you to merge them into one, Dutch, and tell us what God showed you. You know, my hopelessness for America, this nation, and many nations, really, the earth, started changing radically in 91, 1991. I was teaching, just absolutely, just a normal, basic teaching. And all of a sudden, I had the first open vision I've ever had, I, that I've ever had. 
I was not seeing the people in front of me. With my eyes wide open, I was seeing something else. It shocked me. I stopped. I, I started looking around, turning my head. I, I could I, All I could see was this vision. People knew something was happening. They didn't know what. And, and what I saw was this huge stadium, like a big football stadium, maybe 50,000 capacity, filled with young people, high school age, college age, 20-somethings, radically, passionately worshiping, crying out to God, asking Him for revival, save this nation, save the nations, just unlike anything I'd ever seen. And as I watched this meeting ended, they went to the parking lot, and from their park, from the parking lot, as they got into their vehicles, they were trans, uh, they were transformed into balls of fire, and were transported back to their home cities. And everywhere they went, the fires of revival began to spring up. And I, I watched this. Then I, then I came back to being able to see. I shared it with the people, and I heard the Lord say to me. Next month when you're in Washington, D.C., I'm going to confirm to you that this is me and that I'm going to send a third great awakening that begins with young people and I'm going to transform them. I went back to D.C. a month later for the National Day of Prayer. I was a part of something called a Bible-thon where the Bible is read 24-7 to the Capitol building. A person signed me up, said, we signed you up for 2 a.m. It was all that was left. We figured, you'd want to read the, we figured you'd want to read the Bible to this nation prophetically there on the Capitol steps. No matter what time it was, I said, yes. And the Lord said, this is where I will confirm to you that this is me, this vision. And I said, God, the only way I would know this is you based on the scriptures you give me to read, because of what you've been saying to me, I'd have to be able to read Haggai or Habakkuk. And you don't choose where you read. You just read wherever they are. They start in Genesis. They go through Revelation. Then they go back to Genesis all week, 24 hours a day. You don't choose where you read. What are the odds of reading Haggai? That's two chapters. Habakkuk, three chapters. What are the odds that you're going to get to read it? I said, I'm sorry, Lord. This is what I'd have to read to know this is you talking to me. When I arrived, the lady looked at me two minutes before my time slot. They weren't anywhere near Haggai or Habakkuk. She looked at me and said, Mr. Sheets. You have your choice. You can either read the book of Haggai or the book of Habakkuk. I just about fell over on the steps. I don't think she even knew what she was saying. God sovereignly took over <laughs> her mind and mouth, and I realized this is God. He's going to come to this nation with a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Well, that was 91. I thought it would happen the next week. But it was really to start me on a journey of prayer and intercession and to become a prophetic voice for this nation. You know, the next one, the next phase of this hit me of all time, Sid, the week of 9-11, 2001. Mm. I went to preach a conference in the Northwest again. And I tell you, it was Friday night of that week. It was like trying to preach at a funeral. The oppression that week was so thick over this nation. They were still digging through the rubble. No, Everyone was in shock, and I was up to give them hope. And I just, I got up, I don't even know what I was saying, but I had another open vision. On the back wall, there must have been 1,500 people there. It was a big room. On the back wall, which I was facing as I was speaking, it was like an invisible hand began to write. 
and when it was finished, it was literally to me like a neon light. I saw it. It was it was as real as a neon sign, and it said Acts three nineteen. And as I watched it, it began to flash at me on and off. Acts three nineteen. Acts three nineteen. Well, I knew what it said. Return, repent, and return to me is what it's implying. In order that your sins be wiped away and times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. And and I started preaching and declaring that verse. I knew what it said. So I started preaching this. Times of refreshing there. The word refreshing doesn't mean refreshing like we think of it. It it means literally, anasuxis is the word. It means the blowing of breath or wind again intensely. God said, if you repent, I'm going to send another wind which will blow intensely in this nation and bring life. And then I closed my eyes and began to pray. And it was like I was watching a movie. I began to see what was coming to America. And for 30 minutes, I narrated this scene to the people and the leaders. Sid, I saw the Spirit of God coming to this nation with strength and power. He started visiting high schools, junior high schools, colleges, universities. There was no place in the nation that was immune to it. He came with life. He came powerfully. I started seeing signs and wonders miracles. I started seeing young people delivered. Now, this is not just for young people. It's coming to everyone, but I knew it would begin there. I saw mass deliverance. I didn't have theology for what I was seeing. I saw large groups of young people all over the room. They would begin to shout, Jesus just delivered me. They would come. They would lay down paraphernalia, drugs, transform. Someone else would jump up and say, Jesus just healed me. These were kids that didn't know the Bible. Some of them didn't know anything about Scripture. They, they had no, no reference for what was happening. They were saved by the thousands. Listen, it hit all over this nation. The fires of revival. I saw college campuses. This was so radical and so strong. Sporting events were canceled. Not because sports is bad. The people didn't want to go. The kids didn't want to go. They, they they just wanted to go worship or pray or talk about what God was doing. I saw days and nights where there were no classes on secular campuses. Administrators would try to go stop this to get them to go to class. They would walk in the room and be overcome by the power of God and couldn't even talk. This went on and on and on until the fires of revival were sweeping this nation and listen, it's not just for America. It's for the nations. I've seen it. I-, I turned at one point to the leaders when I was watching this, and I said, I've never seen anything like what is coming. It will be greater than the first great awakening, than the second great awakening. We've never seen anything like it. And then I looked at the leaders, and I said, this is going to be very difficult to steward because there was no religious box you could put it in. There was no denomination that could hold it. We couldn't turn them into churchy religious people. They just loved Yeshua and were passionate for him. And it is coming. Well, I have to tell you, parents that are listening right now, they see what the institutions are doing to their children. They see how 
bankrupt their kids are because they're being taught there is no God. They're being taught there is no morality. Uh, they're, being, they're being taught the opposite of God's word. And you have just, with that vision, injected supernatural hope into those parents right now. But it's not just parents and children. It's every problem that you have, everything that has bogged you down, every bit of heaviness, everything. Your season is ready to change. And the thing that's going to do it is when you are supernaturally injected with supernatural hope, when you have the practical steps to move forward, when you have the tools to make the right choice, and the brand new book, The Power of Hope, in the four CD package, which is called the Hope and New Beginnings Package, it's available for a gift of $40. This Shabbat broadcast, I tell you, the Lord has already blessed you. The Lord, he's already smiled upon you. The Lord, he has already gifted you. The Lord, he's already surrounded you with his favor. The Lord, has already given you his shalom, his completeness in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body. In the name of the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, Yeshua HaMashiach Tzikenu, Jesus the Messiah, our righteousness. Place a credit card order for today's offer? Call anytime at 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or log on to our website at www.sidroth.org. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.